Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Um, so, Lolly, my wife said, uh, she said, have you been paying attention to anything that I've said? And I, I thought to myself, that is a weird way to start a conversation. That's my one dad joke for Father's Day. <laughs> so last week we began this series called Living Questionable Lives. It is basically a sequel to our vision and mission series from a few weeks ago. But rather than focusing on the what, our current series is focusing on the how. So how do we fulfill our vision? How do we lead all in our community to become lifelong disciples of Jesus Christ? Last week, you were introduced to the Bell's model of missional living. living. This practical system encourages Christians to develop five habits that will help us be more effective evangelistic believers. Those habits were to bless people through action or affirmation, to eat with people and hear their stories. Third, to listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Fourth, to consistently learn about the way and the character of Jesus Christ. And then fifth, to recognize that every sphere and area of our lives is a place that we have been intentionally sent by Jesus Christ to bring forth his kingdom. If we make these things habits of our weekly lives, then we will live questionable lives. And that's the goal of this series. We want to live in a way that begs the question, why? Why are you being so kind to me? Why were you so quick to forgive that person? Why do you keep inviting me to lunch? When they ask those questions, then we can respond with the simple answer, it's all because of Jesus. Everything that I have and do is because of Jesus. So with that in mind, this week I'm going to introduce you all to a different way in which you can live a questionable life. I'm calling on all of us to be noticers. Now, I'm not exactly sure if that's an actual word, but basically noticers are people who are able to notice the things around them. Observant people. Our primary biblical text this morning is from Matthew's Gospel. Turn in a Bible or an app to Matthew 25, verse 31. You're using a pew Bible. It's on page 831. As you turn there, let us pray. Lord Jesus, would you speak like only you can speak? Would you tune our ears to hear your voice ever so clearly? Would you tune our hearts to experience the fullness of all that you have for us? May the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be acceptable to you. Be glorified and magnified in this place. Amen. Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. 
Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Let's pause there. This is part of Jesus' response to his disciples when they're asking him about the end times. They want to know when all of this is going to come to fruition. And the gist of Jesus' response is basically the same all throughout the Gospels. Jesus tells them they're not going to know for certain. The timing of the final judgment cannot be calculated and foreseen. With that in mind, Jesus tells his followers to be ready, to be ready for the climactic events by living every single day, every single moment, all the time in such a way that is pleasing to the heavenly Father. If, this fo- if his followers are doing this, then his unannounced arrival need not be scary at all. In fact, it will be a time of great praise and reward for a life well-lived in opportunities well taken. So we don't know exactly when the judgment will take place, although tons of people have tried to figure it out and they've all been wrong so far, I I think. Um, But we don't know when, but we do know something. We know exactly who will be the judge. Jesus will be enthroned in glory and then he is going to divide up humanity into two categories the sheep who know his voice, and the goats who live their lives like they are the goat. And for those of you who don't know what the goat is, it's an acronym that people use all the time called the greatest of all time. The goats that Jesus is referring to live their lives like they are the most important person. They have not submitted to the lordship of Christ. And then the good shepherd, he separates them from the rest of the sheep. How do we make sure that we are living our lives so that we're on the right side? How do sheep live? And Jesus gives us the answer to this all-important question, but this passage that we just read might not be as straightforward as you think. At least that's the case, that was the case for me. I thought this was going to be a sermon all about how we have to notice the needs of the world around us and look for ways in which we can serve them. And obviously, that, that is true. That is part of the call of the church. But in my work with the text, I discovered that that might not be what Jesus' focus is in, the, in this passage. So look again at verse 40, will be up on the screen. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. My brothers. 
who are Jesus's brothers? He's specifically talking about his followers. His disciples are the ones who represent him on earth, and Jesus wants them fed, clothed, visited, and cared for. I'd missed this point until this week. I'd always interpreted the passage to be all about how Christians should serve everybody everywhere. So I had this idea planned. I was going to encourage all of you to just be mindful of the world around you. I was going to tell you to go out and to serve your coworkers, um, your peers, your classmates, neighbors, and that would have been a really, really good sermon. It probably would have been the best sermon you've ever heard in your lives. But this morning's text doesn't speak to that. And we absolutely, when we come to the Word of God, we have to let it speak for itself. This passage is much more in the vein of John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So then here is the main point of this morning's sermon. In order to achieve the mission and vision of Carmel Prez, we must love and serve each other well. The more we are able to do this, then the more powerful our witness to the people around us will be. And this makes sense. It works. This is a major factor for the growth of the early church. The world was captivated by the way that the first believers lived sacrificially and served one another. It was attractive. It was unlike anything they'd ever seen. And it drew people in to the new church. That is exactly what Acts 2 tells us in verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved by the simple fact that they were caring for one another so well. This type of harmony and mutual care was unlike anything anyone had ever seen before. The church has always been called to demonstrate to the world what it is actually like to be a family of people who are not biologically related. How do we as Carmel Presbyterian Church live into that call? How do we function more like the family of God? One way is by being noticers. And it's not nearly as easy as it sounds. It requires us to fight against obstacles that are in our way. So I want to offer up three reasons why we struggle with being noticers. First, we are busy. Second, we are distracted. And third, we are isolated. Now, 
I don't think I need to explain the first one very much. We all recognize that life is fast, that it's crazy. Even those who I talk to who are retired, you tell me that you're busier when you're retired than you were when you had full-time employment. Students are busier than ever. There's work obligations, family responsibilities, sports, schools, social engagements. And get this, even church stuff adds to the busyness and chaos of our lives. Our lives are hurried, they're compartmentalized, and we often go through our days with our heads down just so that we can make sure we get everything done that needs to get done. But if we're to notice the people around us, then we have to slow down. So instead of running out of here on Sunday mornings in order to get to the next thing you have to do, how about you stay a little while, spark up a conversation on the patio, and get, this would be crazy in this day and age, but take an actual Sabbath. What would it look like if our Sundays, and this is just almost sounds like a fantasy right now, what if our Sundays, we didn't have anything planned at all, and we just let the day take us where the day takes us. I know Father's Day is an exception. You probably have some plans or something that you have to do. Start next week, okay? The second reason that we are not good noticers is because we are more distracted than ever, and this is the part where it's not going to make sense, but I was going to tell you that I'm preaching from an iPad, right? And so whenever I preach with that iPad, what I have to do before I come up here is I have to turn it on silent. I have to put on... Um, the, what's the, the airplane mode, and then also, just for good measure, I make sure that the Wi-Fi is off. Because if I don't do those things, then I get these incoming text messages or email notices, and if I don't turn off the Wi-Fi, then I might check the golf situation or the, the U.S. Women's World Cup team is playing right now. Last check, it was 1-0. Um, <laughs> so I'm a weak man, and, and that's just one digital device, right? We've got all of these things at our fingertips throughout every single day. And you've all seen it walking down Ocean Avenue where the person's looking at their phone with their head down and they just aren't looking up at all. And that's a person walking. We also see drivers doing that. There are many distractions in our lives that aren't digital either. I mean, we've got that 24-hour news cycle. We've got so many books that we could be reading. We've got this peninsula where we live that offers so much for us to do. And all of these things vie for our attention, and when they win out, we fail to notice other things going on around us. And as for the third reason, many of you might be thinking that you are not isolated. You might have very close relationships with family and friends. However, this morning I am asking that you be noticing the needs of the people in this church. And in order to do that well, we all need to be in deep relationships with other people here at Carmel Prez. We need to be vulnerable with one another. We need to move beyond that first step of chit-chat on the patio into actual community. One obvious way to do this is to join a small group. Another way is to volunteer on a team with other people. 
I hear VBS starts tomorrow. That's, they still could use some volunteers. These are great avenues through which you can personally share your needs and then also hear the needs of other people here at this church. For instance, today's Father's Day. This is a day of celebration for many people, but not for everyone. There are some people in our midst who are fatherless. There are some whose earthly fathers did far worse than good. There are also fathers who are struggling here. There are single dads, and there are dads who are trying to figure out how to do that rat race and provide for their family, but at the same time, be present with their family. Have all of these people been noticed? Yeah, a lot of them have been noticed, but not everyone. People are slipping through the cracks, and they need to be cared for as well. Let's continue in the passage. We're on verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me, naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Being noticers is only the first part of what we need to do in order to live questionable lives. Now, it's, it's a necessary step, but it's not sufficient. In fact, it's risky to become a noticer because the more our eyes are opened to the, to the needs of the people around us, the more burden of responsibility that we have in our own lives. I want to show you a clip from one of my favorite movies. Don't play it yet, Josh. I cannot recommend it because of the violence that's in it, so I'm not even going to tell you the name of it. Um, but it's essentially this story of two brothers who are functioning as vigilantes. Um, and what they do is they, they take out bad guys. They act like judge, jury, and executioner. And the following clip is from the opening scene that takes place at their Catholic church. I want you to listen to what the priest has to say, especially as the brothers get closer to the door as they exit. And I am reminded on this holy day of the sad story of Kitty Genovese. As you all may remember, long time ago, almost 30 years ago, this poor soul cried out for help time and time again, but no person answered her calls. Though many saw, no one so much as called the police. They all just watched as Kitty was being stabbed to death in broad daylight. 
They watched as her assailant walked away. Now, we must all fear evil men. But there is another kind of evil which we must fear most, and that is the indifference of good men. That should get you. It gets me every single time. Did you hear that last quote? There is another kind of evil that we should fear most, and that is the indifference of good men. Those who Jesus calls cursed and sentences to eternal damnation are not at fault for what they have done wrong, but that they have failed to do what is right. So they either failed to be noticers, and they obviously just didn't step up to the plate, but they might have seen people in need and decided to turn a blind eye. And those are sins of omission. In that clip, the, the priest mentions the story of Kitty Genovese. Now, he got some details wrong about that story, and so I'm going to read to you the actual New York Times archived article from 1964. For more than half an hour, 38 respectable law-abiding citizens in Queens watched a killer stalk and stab a woman in three separate attacks in Kew Gardens. Twice the sound of their voices and the sudden glow of their bedroom lights interrupted him and frightened him off. Each time he returned, sought her out, and stabbed her again. Not one person telephoned the police during the assault. One witness called after the woman was dead. That was two weeks ago today. But Assistant Chief Inspector Frederick M. Lusson in charge of the borough's detectives and a veteran of 25 years of homicide investigations, is still shocked. He can give a matter-of-fact recitation of many murders, but the Kew Garden slaying baffles him, not because it is a murder, but because the good people failed to call the police. As we have reconstructed the crime, he said, the assailant had three chances to kill this woman during a 35-minute period. He returned twice to complete the job. If we had been called when he first attacked, the woman might not be dead now. Now, recently, some of the details of this have been refuted, but the horrific crime has been a case study in um, psychological class, uh, cl psychology classes all throughout America. In fact, the, the term bystander effect is often called the Genovese effect is named after the woman, Kitty Genovese. The bystander effect or bystander apathy is a so social psychological phenomenon in which individuals are less likely to offer help to a victim when other people are present. In fact, the greater the number of bystanders, the less likely that one of them will help. And sadly, this is true in churches as well. The larger the church, then it is easier for the needs of individuals to be overlooked. Some of you might have experienced that. Some of you might experience that here. 
But if you go to a small rural church, the needs of the members will be known, oftentimes even when the person doesn't want them to be known. As I researched more about the bystander effect, the article that I read offered up this psychological process that happens when we encounter someone in need. Our minds often quickly consider these five things. First, we notice that something is going on. That is the first part of this entire sermon. The first step is that you notice that something is going on. Second, we interpret the situation. This means we make a quick decision regarding the severity of the thing that we have noticed. So we ask questions like, is, is it an emergency? Is it something that needs immediate attention? Or is it something that we can circle back to later on? Third, we determine the degree of responsibility that we have to meet the need. Is it something that we should or can help with? Fourth, we consider the most appropriate form of assistance. How can we meet the need in an appropriate and efficient way? And then fifth and finally, we implement the action that we have chosen. We actually do something about it. And so that's from the, the social sciences realm, and I want to transition to an actual real example of this playing out in the life of our church. There's a single mother who has several school-aged children here. And there have been a group of people who became aware of this family's situation, and they noticed that she could use some help. So that was step one. People noticed. Then several individuals began to interpret the situation. They saw that certain things took place recently that would require an extra dose of care. Now, it rarely got to an emergency-type situation because this woman is so strong and resilient and faithful. However, it was determined that her and her kids could use a hand. So then a few people, independently of one another, felt a tug on their hearts to help out this family. They felt a responsibility to do something. Now, the single mother wasn't a stranger to them. They knew that she was recently single, and that wasn't her decision. Then each person thought of ways they could use their gifts and resources to lend a hand. But get this, they didn't let those distractions get in the way. They didn't let life get in the way. They didn't let Satan get in there and tell them, you're not going to be able to help that much anyway they actually did something about it. One person in particular would babysit often, and this person would function as a consistent male figure in the lives of the kids. Another would take out the oldest for ice cream on a regular basis. Another would assist financially when appropriate, but it wasn't just some sort of handout. It was a hand up. That person would also teach the mother about budgeting and financial management. Others offered counsel. A couple in this service basically became surrogate grandparents. And then other people just were a friend. And when I spoke to the mother on the phone this week, she told me to tell you all this. 
she wouldn't have made it without Carmel Press. Now, that's not hyperbole. She was very matter-of-fact about that. She truly believes that she would not have survived if it wasn't for this church. So we've got to start looking around. And we can't be bystanders. We can't just trust that someone else will take care of it. We also got to trust that God has equipped us to do things, that he will use us in a multitude of ways. And as he does use us, we will undoubtedly be living questionable lives. And when I, I want to end with where we began. Jesus makes it clear that he will be enthroned in glory and that there will be those who join him and those who will be cast out. But this theme of dividing up those who are saved and those who will face eternal punishment should motivate us. And that is what I want to end with. This sermon is not just a call for us to notice people's needs and look for ways to help. We have to do it for the right reasons. We're not just a philanthropic group that preaches altruism and social justice. There are plenty of nonprofits, even Christ-centered ones, who do amazing work in the world. But the church is different. We are a people who are motivated by the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. We are a family of God who has been strategically placed here by God in downtown Carmel-by-the-Sea. And we are a people with an eternal purpose, and that's what motivates us. It isn't enough for us to satisfy the physical needs of the least, the lost, and the lonely. We want them standing shoulder to shoulder with us on Judgment Day. May eternity always be in our sights as we look to be kingdom-minded noticers. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm reminded all throughout writing this sermon of a praise song which says, break my heart for what breaks yours. And that is scary. Scary to think because there are so many situations, so many things in this world that break your heart, God. May we be part of the mending process with you. May we be a people who are motivated by seeing people not only cared for, but people who will join us as sheep with you in heaven. Jesus, we thank you that you are our good shepherd, that you are constantly present with your flock, that you give us everything that we need in order to be on mission for you. May we take that seriously for your glory. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. 
For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.